0: Welcome. Everyone, those of you watching online, maybe watching this recording later. Good to have you here. It's not gonna be as fun this week as it was last week. Sorry to disappoint you. But with that type of genre we'll show up again. I, I promise you. But it's good to what I wanted to, to get across was that, that this the Bible occurs in real time in, in a real place with real people. Sometimes we have these books on the shelf and you, you hear people talking about it and it seems so are out there. And, and, and it, was, it was really, it really happened. In the first century, this truth about a, a resurrected, crucified Savior went through the whole Roman Empire and just set everything on its head. The truth about Jesus Christ just, just totally messed up with everything. And it changed everything. And we today are gathered here in this room, and, and people are doing the same thing across our city, and across our country, and across the world in different time zones, we are, are celebrating and, and reading and focusing on the same Christ, the same Word of God. Why? Because this is a transformative message. It changes lives. And that's what happened in Philippi. And they grew into this interestingly, like, healthy church despite the fact that he didn't spend a lot of time there, the letter indicates that there was this real close connection between the Apostle Paul and the the people in Philippi. The way he introduces himself in the letter, the way he talks to them, you almost feel like you've intercepted a personal letter here, and you're almost blushing reading about this closeness between them. And and you wonder. And, of course, Paul being a a former Pharisee, a Jew— you can imagine him grinning as he's, as he's writing this letter because, of course, a Jew, a male Jew would get up in the morning and pray, and he had this prayer, and part of his prayer would say, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not a woman, that I'm not a slave, and that I'm not a Gentile. And there in the book of Philippians, in, in Acts chapter 16, the early church in Philippi, how does it start? A woman is converted by the riverside. A slave is set free from demon possession, and a Gentile comes to faith in a Roman prison paul grins <laughs> and so we start the book of philippians i'll have it on the screen hopefully and uh, but you can also follow along in your own bible if you are not satisfied with the amount of content that you receive on a sunday morning you're always welcome to come back wednesday night when we dig a little deeper and we can talk about issues and, and uh, you're, you're welcome but that, that's that's your call but anyway i guess gave that opportunity because sometimes like i told the group on wednesday night the rabbits show up when i'm preparing a sermon and I can't shoot or chase down every rabbit in a sermon. But on Wednesday night, I come back and I take some shots at those rabbits, and we can talk about them and skin them together. And, and that's what happens so on Wednesday nights, all right? That's a good Lloydminster illustration. Wouldn't really work in the city. Sorry, those of you watching in a more urban and civilized cultures. But here, we, we get that, right? From Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus... Are in Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So he begins his book. Timothy's with him. Timothy had just started the ministry before they crossed over into Macedonia. He is a raw recruit. And he seems to be hiding in someone's house while Paul's thrown in prison and with Silas. And, and he's observing all this. I mean, this, this journey was, was not a, 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 a safe one. I mean, they go to Thessalonica. There's a riot. They go to Berea. There's another issue. I mean, everywhere they go, there seems to be things turning into t- turmoil. But, but Timothy has gotten connected with this church, too. And you'll find in chapter 2, uh, they think quite highly of Timothy. He has shown himself to be the embodiment of the gospel in Jesus Christ in his own life. But you notice how they identify themselves. They are slaves of Christ Jesus. I mean, the approximations are that 20% of the population of Philippi at this time would have been slaves. Now, the term describes someone that, that uh, is completely at the disposal of another. Um, it's a person that, um, you know, humbly serves another person. If you read the other letters of Paul, he says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. I mean, he, he clearly lays out his credentials. And in a town like Philippi, a Roman colony, it's surprising that he doesn't bring out his, his resume and all of his, his certifications and ordinations and all this stuff. He simply says, we're slaves. There's a reason he does that. Because that is the heart of the gospel and what he wants to bring out in the Philippian church and in our lives is that we'd understand that that fundamentally the gospel is about surrendering and serving Jesus. You serve something, whether you like to admit it or not, you are serving something. You serve something in order to get happiness. Mm-hmm. That may be your job. That may be money. That may be sex. That may be sports. That may be dancing. Whatever it is, you serve something in order to get some sense of satisfaction, joy in your life. Everyone does. But when the gospel comes into your life, whatever you previously served gets laid aside in order to serve a new master. You no longer serve hockey, you no longer serve your employer. You no longer serve your own self-image. I mean, people, you know, spend a lot of time and money trying to perfect this. It's a lost cause. It's never going to happen, right? You know, on your own, you can't perfect this. But, you know, they, they do that. They're serving body image, you know, this and that and, and status and this. And then and, and he says, we are slaves of Jesus He says, to all the saints, these are the holy ones, God's holy people who are in Philippi. You may have grown up in a different tradition where they actually saint people. They they give them the status of sainthood. But the New Testament teaches that everyone who has embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ becomes a saint. Kind of destroys some of that uh, ideas of other religious groups. But it says, you're all saints. You're all belong to God, and you are his holy people. And you are in Philippi, along with the elders and deacons. It seems to have these, these two classes of leaders within the church, which we actually in New Life are, are, are moving towards as well, creating a, a, you know, a group that's focused on spiritual leadership and fo- group that's focused on the practical matters of, of, of life and finances and facility. I mean, this is the way that... So it was an organized church. It was an established church in a real place. Now, I think... Sarah, we have a video, right, for this next slide. Is that right? So let's just watch this video. It's short. Here you go. This is Philippi. Google Earth. So there it is. There's a, oh, we're we're going out. There you go. Oh, see the Aegean Sea right there to your left? And there's Macedonia up to the left there. And we're going to zoom out. You see, it is the first church in Europe Next to Greece there, there's Rome over there and around the corner, Jerusalem. And so they kind of in in the center between Jerusalem and Rome. And so thank you, sir, for that. So you understand, real place. There's a great archaeological site there today which which shows the Roman Roman, uh, amphitheater, etc., etc. It really is a place where God's people met together and worshiped like we are doing today. And he says to them in verse 2, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A customary greeting. Grace being the Greek greeting, welcome and greeting, and peace being the Hebrew one. And so Paul combines the two. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But just, just back up. In verse 1, it says they are saints in Christ Jesus. So their identity is centered around Jesus Christ. That's going to be important as he moves forward. Look what he says in verse 3. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In verse 4, he says, I always pray with joy in my every prayer for all of you. Can you imagine having someone in your life that you're always thankful for? That you always pray with joy for every prayer for that person or that individual or that group of people. I found in the local secondhand store in our town, there's a bookshelf, and there's one that has a Christian section. And I'm, I'm looking through it every once in a while, I have some good books that show up there. And, and there's this book with the title, Inexpressible Joy. And I thought, well, that's an interesting title, eh? So I, I pull it off the shelf, and then the subtitle is reflections on 40 years as a pastor's wife. And then I laughed <laughs> out loud, you know, because I don't know many pastor's wives that actually feel that way about 40 years of ministry in one place, inexpressible joy. It's like a book that like we call it, Peace and Tranquility, you know, 40 years as a junior high teacher. I mean, that's not gonna happen, right? <laughs> so, so you understand, this is kind of a joke for, for pastors. Now you got, the, you got it from, I mean, inexpressible joy. Not really. But for her, it was. But, but maybe, maybe her and her husband were lucky enough to be in a church like Philippi. Where the people just brought the blessing back to their leaders. Now, I'm saying this somewhat selfishly, but I, I think New Life is on track to becoming that kind of a church. I mean, this is not a, a grinder church, because I wouldn't be here after four years if it was a grinder church. I would have left a long time ago, because I'm just, not, I'm sick of that. But... But we could be better. Wouldn't it be cool if, if Elijah's wife, Abigail, if, if God would keep them here, in 25 years could write a book, Inexpressible Joy, Reflections on New Life, Community Church? I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, we've got great pastors. Wife, you know, Sherry and Elisa and Abigail, I mean, they're all engaged and involved in ministry and with people, and they open their homes, and they love, and they, they have you in their homes till all hours of the night. I mean, I mean, we've got a great team here, but wouldn't it be awesome if, 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 the, if the wives and, and Pastor Ben's future wife could say, yeah, inexpressible joy, new life. I would love for each of our pastors to have champions around families that would just advocate, give them gifts, pay for things for them, just bless them, love their children. Maybe some of you would take that on, be a champion for your pastor, for your youth pastor, for your children's pastor, you know, like just really say, you know what, I'm going to love and bless them. And because, because obviously Paul looks at the Philippians and says, this church just fills me up with joy. And what is it about them that would do that to a pastor? Because I'm telling you, there's not a lot of my, you know, my you know, companions in ministry that would say that about churches. And very few pastor's wives that I met that would say, yeah, 40 years of inexpressible joy. I don't know many. Except maybe it's more than the circumstances. Maybe it is the Philippian secret of joy. Where no matter what's happening, you find the rainbow in the clouds. But Paul's sitting chained to a Roman prisoner in Rome, writing letters to churches. He's not able to get out and do the things. He's wanting to get to Spain. I mean, who wouldn't want to get to Spain? I want to get to Spain. You know, he's, you know but there he's stuck, chained, and yet he's full of joy and thanksgiving. What's going on? Christ has done something in his heart. And, and of course, the Philippian church continues to bless him with this joy. I'm always praying with joy in my every prayer for all of you." This was a good church. He doesn't say this about the Corinthian church. <laughs> well, you guys just feel me no It's like, you guys give me grief. I have nightmares about you guys, you know. Wow, you know, like a, this is horrible. This, you know, I, I just, you know, and he's writing long letters to those guys. I mean, it takes, takes multiple chapters to deal with their issues. And flipping, it's four little chapters full of joy, gushy, warm feelings, and, and happiness, and, and thanksgiving. You're like, what's going on? It's a different church. The truth is great churches make great pastors. Right? It kind of works back and forth. And I know that our pastors give their best and, and, and they invest and they go above and beyond and, and, and I just, let's keep this reciprocal. Let's bless each other so that we can grow together. He says in verse 5 though, because of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, if you're new to the church, you're, you're going to hear that word gospel, and you're like, what is gospel? Well, if, you, if I asked just the average person, what is gospel? They'd be like, well, that's, that's what Whitney Houston sings in The Preacher's Wife, isn't it? Gospel, right? It's, it's a music. It's a genre, right? Or, or it's southern gospel. It's, it's, you know, big hair and makeup and, and, you know, loud, you know, obnoxious kind of singing, you know, in, in, in different, you know, jamborees and stuff like that. You know, that's gospel. No, no, that's not what the gospel is. The gospel's good news. It's actually a term from the first century to describe an announcement. If the army had been sent away and came back victorious, there would be a gospel announcement, a good news announcement. Yes, we won. If the emperor, his wife had a son, the gospel would go forth. The good news, pronouncing, yes, an heir has been born to the emperor. Good news, gospel, euangelion. Galeon. He says, you have partnered in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, from the first day until now. The word participation is also the word fellowship. Um, It's a commercial term. It's the term that you would have used in business partners coming together to accomplish something together. So here's the issue. You may have come to understand the gospel as a one and done situation. I received Christ, I received the gospel, it's done, it's over, now I live my life however I feel like it. But that's not the way Paul describes the gospel here. I liken it to like, you know, in, here in our area, right, if, if you want a, some water, you got to dig a hole, right? And then that hole fills up, we call it a dugout, right? And you can put a little diving board into it, maybe even throw some fish in there, and, and you have a dugout, and we think that's a great place to swim and to recreate. Why? Because there's no lakes nearby or, or rivers. And so we, we are satisfied with the dugout. And many people think, okay, I've, the gospel is me digging my dugout and, and just sitting around my own water and enjoying water with other people who, who like the dugout. And that this is, this is life. But the gospel, as Paul sees it, is not the dugout. It's not this stagnant water that turns green with algae in the hot sun of August. You know, a couple years ago, my kids came home from Sandy Beach, and they walked in, and I could smell them before I could see them. You know, there's this seaweed and whatever else, you know, kind of emanating off their pores. I'm like, go to the shower and throw those things in the wash, you know, and and no offense to those of you that live at Sandy Beach, but anyway, it's kind of stinky in, in the later part of the summer. But this summer, in the hottest part of August, I took my kids to the Shushwap River, to Waterwheel Park, a place I used to swim as a kid. And, and there the river flows from Mabel Lake down to Mar Lake, to Shushwap Lake, to the Thompson River, down eventually to the sea. But it's, it's this fresh flowing water. It comes off the glaciers of the Monashie Mountains into Mabel Lake, down, and there it is. And we get into the water, and it's clear. And it's cool. And I can see to the bottom. And you get in and you float along together. And then you get out and you, you go up and you float along together. And it's moving. And It's like when you enter the gospel, you joined a river that's moving. And you continually move with it. As God does his work in the world, you're, you're flowing with him. You're not stuck in your own dugout. When they... Are encouraging you to bring your friends to Alpha. They're not inviting you, say, bring your friend to the dugout. We'll skim the green stuff off the water and then we'll jump in together. They're saying, come to the river that flows from the very throne room of God. This is the gospel. It's life giving. It is it's flowing and it's clear and it's cool and it's refreshing and it's ongoing. And, and where we're floating down and we're tying our wraps together and people are on the shore and saying, Hey, you want to join us? Yeah, but I don't know how. Just grab on. And, we, and we're, we're bringing people on. That's the gospel. It's an ongoing experience with Jesus Christ. Maybe you didn't, maybe you, you, you settled for the dugout when God's inviting you into his river. I'll keep my kids in the dugout. We're safe in the dugout. There's no strange people there. It's not dangerous. It's, 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 but guess what happens to dugouts? They, get, they turn green and they dry up. That's why churches die. Because they forgot about the river. And the scum just lines in the alkali, and it just becomes more stagnant until finally there's nothing left. But the people in the river, boy... And this is the key to a healthy, unified church. The gospel is always forefront. They don't have time to to fight and argue and and get lost in trivialities because they're so concerned about the fact that there are still people in this world that don't know Jesus. Forget the dugout. We're we're flowing in the river. Your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And notice what he says there in verse 6. For I am sure of this very thing, that the one who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. It's like God started this thing in your life, and he's going to finish it. Now, here's the difference, okay? Understand this. Religion is you building your own little shack, your own little playhouse, you know, when I bought my house, the family before me had, to, there was a bush, and these kids had got a bunch of junk lumber, and they built a, a, a playhouse. It was a disaster, but it, you know, it, was, it was their own creation. It was cool. I'm glad they had the opportunity, but it was gone. We ripped that out. Gone. We cleared it out, and now we got a nice little fire pit there and places to sit. And our yak and youth have hung out there many times. Religion is you building your own little playhouse. Junk lumber. Rusty nails. But gospel is God ripping all that out and starting fresh and rebuilding something new in your life. If you're doing your own thing, God is not obligated to complete it. Like God, I started this. This is religion. I'm doing things. I've I've done all the prerequisite requirements. I'm holding on to things. I'm doing stuff. And and then God's like, no, I, I don't finish what I don't start. But what I start, I finish, God says. I will finish what I start. So if you truly have the gospel, that transformative experience with Jesus Christ, then God is obligated to complete it as you partner with him in this ongoing relationship called the gospel. Not a one and done, not I sign the, the back of my Bible and it's over. It's No, I've entered into the life-flowing stream of Jesus and I'm moving with him now. The gospel. God finished once he starts. Now, in 1998, I was working in a church in this community with a group of young people. Got married, decided to go to seminary, leaving this group of youth that I really liked. There were aspects of ministry I didn't like, but I really liked this group of kids. And they were young men and women growing, and we had lots of fun together. And that was the one thing that just drew, just dragged in my heart. And at least heart was like, what do we do with these kids? And God brought me to this verse. And he gave me this promise. He says, what I have started, I will finish. Several of those kids serve downstairs in our children's ministry today. Others serve up here on the stage. One of them organized and, and was the key t- t- person for our family camp. I mean, these young men and women are serving the Lord. Some of them are in full-time ministry. Some of them are married to people in ministry. God kept his promise for me and for you in this verse. I am sure of this one thing, the one who began, will, ca- will carry it on to completion. And then, then look quickly at verse 7 and 8. He talks about just how close he is to them. For it's right for me to feel this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, all of you became partners in God's grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you with the affection of Jesus of Christ Jesus, or, or literally in the old translations, with the bowels of Christ Jesus, like from the very inner part of my being. I mean, I feel like I'm coming into a very private conversation here. I long for you. It's good for me to think this way about you. Because we have this connection, this gospel connection. Christ Jesus has brought us together in this, in this way that, that, that no, nothing else could have. I mean, there it is. Woman, foreign woman, slave girl, Roman prison. I mean, Philippian jailer. together in the church with all these other people, God has brought them together. And Paul says, "Man, we have this unity." And then he prays for them in verses nine to 11. And I pray this: that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and every kind of insight. So you can decide what's best and be sincere and blameless for the day of Christ. You know what's how he prays? I mean, think about your prayers for your kids and your friends, right? Lord, help them to have a safe trip. Help them to have good health. Help them to be able to pay off their mortgage and not to get cancer. Help them, you know, and, and what's he praying for? Help them to have this love that just keeps flowing out of their life. <laughs> how do we move up and out in new life in Jesus Christ together? It starts with this love that's That's growing that's abounding even more and more. It just keeps flowing and, and it's a knowledgeable and, and a love that comes with insight. I mean, that word almost has the idea of emotional intelligence. It's like, it's like you, you understand, you appreciate. That word knowledge is, is knowledge that comes from relationship and experience. It's not head knowledge. It's not you memorizing verses and spouting them off in some competition. It's real life, understanding, living, Knowledge and insight, so you can decide what's best. And you and I make choices every day. And Paul's like, I'm hoping and I'm praying that every time you come to a choice, you you pick the best choice. Not second best, third best, not just good, but the best. And every day you will have choices to make. You'll choose to work. You'll choose not to come to church. You'll choose not to volunteer. You'll choose not to give your money. You'll choose not to be related to other people in the church. You know, not, not to get together. You know, I'm, I don't have time for that. I got to, you know, I'm too busy. I think new life excused a lot of busyness, which was just pure selfishness. The gospel transforms you, so you choose what's best. People are busy. Well, if they're busy doing the gospel, their church would be jam-packed, overflowing. So whatever they're busy doing, it's not the gospel. I don't know what it is. But Paul said, I'm praying that you would have knowledge and discernment to do what is best. And that you would be sincere and blameless for the day of Christ. Sincere, of course, one of the commentators describes it as when you when you'd break a piece of pottery, you use a piece of wax to, 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 to fix it. and You couldn't see it until you put it up to the, to the sun, and then you could see that crack. He's like, sincere means without wax. There's no crack in the, in, in the body. And then blameless means not stumbling or causing other people to stumble. The one commentary said, you know, it seems like he's praying that they wouldn't allow the, the culture of Philippi to, to influence their lives. Sincere and blameless for the day of Christ. He talked about that in verse 6, the day of Christ. Again, in verse 10, the day of Christ. And we're going to talk about that more on Wednesday night because the truth is you and I stand before Jesus one day. That's the gospel. It starts with his transforming work in your life at salvation, and then it, it's, it's the end when finally you, you're glorified, you receive. But, but then he's saying, okay, between here and there, what did you do? And it begins to weigh your life and all the investments you made. And, and, and they understand the test of, of his judgment. In 1 Corinthians, it describes it as wood, hay, stubble, precious stones, precious metals. All that work you did for your employer. All that overtime. All the things you missed because you were such a, you know, you were so focused on money and career and this and that. <sighs> Ashes. And then the stuff you did for the gospel, for Christ, for God's glory. Gold, silver, platinum, precious metals, the day of Christ. There will be a day of accounting. And, and when you've served him faithfully, it's a day of rejoicing. It's, it's, it's like the, the, the athlete that crosses the line and gets the, you finished the marathon. Yay! You're, you're part of the club now. You've completed it. Yes, you're, you're, you're elite now. And that's what Jesus wants. He wants to welcome you across the finish line saying, you got into the river, you flowed, you brought as many people off the banks as you could. Yes, good job, my faithful servant. Sincere and blameless for the day of Christ. And it says in verse 11, Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You see that prayer? I prayed that prayer for you at the church on Wednesday night when we concluded our study. Sincere and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness where the very life and character of Christ just begins to flow and ooze out of our bodies and our life. Where people look and see things that, that wouldn't grow there before. Right? You're like, man, how, how come she talks so differently? How come she's serving so differently? How, what happened to their marriage? Christ happened to their marriage. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. If we're trying to grow our own fruit, we're just going to fail. But when we get into the gospel stream and we're moving with Jesus, he's moving, his life is moving through ours, we begin to produce these fruits. In Galatians, he'll call them the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And, and, but, but it's basically the, the, the life of Christ begins to be seen. And what happens is when that happens, God is ultimately glorified and praised through How do you move up and out a new life in Jesus Christ together? It's the gospel. Not one and done, but jumping into the stream and grabbing on to each other and moving forward together. This is the beauty of Alpha. It's not a one person. It's a team sharing Jesus together. This is the beauty of the church. It's a team. Now, I know I don't sometimes like to do stuff with other people, I prefer to be alone. I mean, I, I've learned that as a kid, as a teenager. Uh, you know, I'm not going to have a good time without people. But then, the, I, and then I come to the New Testament and says, but you can't really experience the gospel alone. All of the, plur, the yous in this passage are plural. The Greek is not ambiguous. In English, you is you. Well, you or you. But in Greek, it's very clear. You, there's a one word for singular you. There's one word for plural you. It's plural you. All you all is what he's saying here. Poor Queen, listening to this awful English. but That's what he's saying. You all. Together. God will complete what he started in your life. What will make us that church full of joy and thanksgiving? The gospel. And that starts with an act of surrender where you put up the flag. It starts when you destroy your own little playhouse and let God rebuild on on a a cleared out foundation. It starts when you leave the dugout and wade into the river and feel the current on your legs. You're like, this is scary. It is scary. But guess who's in the middle of, of the current holding all of our hands? Jesus. It's so much safer at the dugout. You can even fence it so people can't get in. It's really convenient. Private swimming. And Jesus is like, no, let's go to the public swimming hole. Let's get into the river. It's dangerous. There's currents, yes. But, oh, the potential for life-saving is there. (sighs) Dugout churches are fighting and shutting down every day. But river churches, man, they are moving. They don't have time to worry about algae because they're just moving together in the gospel. Paul says, man, you Philippians, I'm so thankful and joyful because you guys just got into the stream, and you never stop swimming. May we be that kind of a church. May we be those kind of people. And this week, God is going to, to hit you on one of these points. Maybe it's the prayer where you need to discern what is best. You're choosing second best, third best, fourth best. And he's like, I've got the best. And it comes from Christ. Maybe it's the fact that you've been trying to build your own little shelter and God's like, let me destroy that and start fresh with your life. Whatever it is, let us learn and apply what God is teaching to us today. If you don't know Jesus Christ, I'm inviting you into a life-changing relationship with him that is ongoing, dynamic, and will will change the whole course of your life. But it starts with an act of surrender and and an engagement with him every day in your life. There's so much more I could, I could talk about, but we'll get there next week, or Wednesday night if you want to join me. But let's pray, and team, would you come up as we prepare to close the service out? Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. Help it to transform our lives, Lord. Not just in a one time, but in an ongoing way. Lord, we've spent our lives doing all sorts of things, but you want us to be focused on the gospel, on Christ, in every area of our life. And so scrutinize us, O Holy Spirit. Expose our selfishness and our sinfulness. Expose our fear and our anxiety Help us to find that change in you. And I pray for for new life, Lord, that we would be a church that brings joy and thanksgiving to the hearts of everyone who attends here, everyone that serves here, Lord. That we would see our responsibility to care for one another and each other as as a result of the gospel. And so I just pray this. I pray anyone here this morning or watching online that doesn't know you, that would want, would, would move towards a, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ through faith today. Recognizing that he died for their sins and rose again so that they could have this life-changing reality in their life, transforming reality. And so, Lord, go forth from us, Lord, and help us to be the people you want us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alpha starts tomorrow night again i just say this because this is how the church started this church started with a passion to reach people that were not did not were far from god it's it's who we've been and we're just returning to our roots here you will want to go from here and just forget about this announcement you want to ignore making eye contact with kevin on your way out i know you are but god is gonna gonna speak to you um this is who we are we are a church that wants to reach people that don't know jesus yet so let's be that church now unto him who's able to do abundantly more than all that we ask for or imagine to him be the glory in the church both now and forevermore and all of god's people said amen god bless you have a great